Hello, and welcome to the Autistic Reality Podcast. Here at Autistic Reality, we believe in three levels of identity. We believe that we are all human, traveling on our journey together, and that we have much more in common than what sets us apart. We believe that we are all individuals with richly unique experiences. And finally, we believe in the importance of all other identities, whether they be gender, race, sexual orientation, ability, faith, and much, much more. Join us on this wonderful journey as we interview key players and discuss important topics. We hope this journey will be informative and fun. We are ready. Nothing about us without us. Hey, Aaron, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah. So welcome to the Autistic Reality Podcast, where we interview artists, entertainers, politicians, business owners, you name it, with our own disability spin on things. And of course, entertainment is very important to what we do. So Aaron, uh, I have to say, we, we kind of got our start in the same place, didn't we? we did. Yeah, <laughs> Ithaca, New York, yeah. You want to talk about that, the comic book club and stuff like that? Sure. Um... Uh, I don't know about for you. For me, it was a it was a, a really wonderful influence on having a group of people to look up to that were into what I wanted to do with my life. You yeah. know, uh, Camilla and Roger Stern, yeah. um, uh, Bill and Tim, and like yeah. you know everybody everybody up in it together. Uh, is a big uh, comic book fan. It's hard to imagine that Roger has done everything he's done. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, somebody at MTV once called him the best writer of the 1980s, you know, and, and uh, you, you look at him, he's quiet and unassuming, and you don't realize that he literally did the, the death of Superman thing. Right. I don't think right. his book's ever been off the... New York Times bestsellers. And Carmel is one of the most loving people I've ever met. And She's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to you, Carmela. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Tim, you know, is the world fireworks champion several times over. I mean, that's Bill. That's Bill. That's Bill. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say. I was like, I didn't. I didn't yeah. know. But Tim was Tim, into fireworks. Yeah. Uh, Bill. Bill was into fireworks. Yeah. So, Comic Book Club of Ithaca has something very special about it which is, it is, as far as we are able to tell, the oldest continuously active comic book club in the country, probably the world. Wow. I, I must have known that. I, I, don't, I didn't recall that, at, uh, but uh, really? Yeah, it was started- San, San Diego? Doesn't uh, isn't longer. I don't. Club, I, I mean, I club, have no idea. Not convention but... club. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it it was started as a middle school club by Tim Gray, Aaron Pitchell, and Bill Turner. Um, Tim and Aaron were in middle school. Bill was out at that I point, and uh, yeah. it was started in like 1971 or something. And by 73, they were incorporated as a not-for-profit wow. to allow people like Bill to join. And yeah. there are other clubs that started earlier that had to shut down for a while. But the Comic Book Club of Ithaca is still going very strong. I still go back to meetings when I head to town. And yes. uh, it... Also, uh, you are right about San Diego Comic Con. That's the oldest Comic Con, but Ithacon gotcha. is the second oldest. So nice, uh, yeah. So you um, did the club facilitate like creative energies for you in some way, or I think you know. Um, so when when I was growing up there you know i moved around a lot as a kid yeah. um uh and so it comic books were a way for me to connect with people 
um, whether it was just like, uh, just, just the fact of being a kid that didn't have a whole lot of friends right away, um, that I was able to connect to these comic book characters and then, uh, the comic book club and, and, and other organizations like it allowed me to meet people that were also into these other worlds that I didn't, I didn't really know so many people were into at the time. Yeah. Um, they have all sorts of wonderful meetings. Like they do radio show readings and they oh, nice. talk about things with comic common themes and Christmas yeah. in July, you know? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know about the Christmas in July. That's great. They, they um, sometimes do. It depends on, you know, what's a, you know, sure. First meeting I ever attended was Bill giving a rundown of the creation of the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so just, just to finish up on that note, what years were you in Ithaca? Um, ooh, tough one. Um, because I, I bounced, like I said, I bounced around a lot. Um, I think 90... I think 90 to 96 or seven and then left came back probably uh, 2002 probably before that man uh, basically I, I've been in Ithaca or around Ithaca since since uh, 1990 um, my parents have, have lived there since 19, or my, my dad and my stepmother have lived there since 1990. So uh, regardless of whether I, I left the, the area, I still came back quite a bit. Great. So I was there <clears throat> from 04, moved there after high school to 2010 when I went to Buffalo to do undergrad and grad school. Um, right. Now I am in DC, well, right across the border in Tacoma Park, Maryland. But okay. I, I come back to Ithaca frequently for Ithacon and things like that. Nice. Um, so uh, did you go to any of the schools in the area? Yeah, I went to um, uh, DeWitt Middle School. I went to Ithaca High School for a little bit. And then I graduated high school from Cascadilla. Cool. Yeah, uh, so... Ithacon is, of course, now very much affiliated with Ithaca College. Um, that they they kind of oh, saved, yeah, they they saved the show uh, because uh, the women's community building was torn down where they had it for about right. ten years at least, and uh, and the only other venue at the time downtown that actually, I mean, there were some hotels that like had turned their event space into offices and things like that. So mm -hmm. the Hotel Ithaca was the only people who actually had space down there. And because they were the only people, they uh, charged an arm and a leg. So wow. um, they, they got what they could because they had a monopoly on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, Kate Kittredge, uh professor at uh, uh, Ithaca College, was very much into literary and cultural events and yeah, saw an article. Care. Yeah. The last time you and I met, I think, was the year it was at that junk store in the Commons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, it turned into a poster shop for a while, right? It was an office supply store for the longest time. Yeah. yeah and then, you know, yeah. that was, right. that was, and Aaron, Aaron, actually Aaron Pitchell, the guy who uh, helped start the uh, Ithaca Comic yeah. Club, he he was the one who uh, had it as a poster store or something like that. I think he had his post. His poster store was a few doors down. Uh, oh, okay. You know, but and was, yeah, Aaron, the by the way, started the club by putting an ad in the uh, in the uh, middle school paper. And uh, if any of you are interested in seeing where it all started, go to. Uh, Buffalo Street Books in the DeWitt Mall. That used to be the cafeteria of the school they were at. So, you know, uh, Ithaca doesn't... We, Ithaca wow, they went, to, they went to school in De DeWitt Mall. Wow. It was a school back then. 
I knew, well, I knew it was a school at one point. I didn't realize that it was, you know, uh, not that long ago. Uh, I mean, it's a very old building. Yeah. I, I had assumed it was more like uh, my grandparents' age. Uh, people that went to school there, not. I, I there's a small uh, chance I could half be a generation wrong, away. They actually had this this basically this tin can shack. Uh, uh, on Stewart Lake, where they would hold events uh, like club meetings and stuff for the school, uh-huh. and uh, that, of course, has been torn down. But Ithaca made the mistake of tearing down a few too many wonderful monuments uh, up until relatively recently. So now they have very strict rules about not not getting rid of anything. Okay, oh, uh, so. And I, I knew that Ithaca was growing a lot lately, and uh, last couple of times I visited, I, I, I barely recognized it. It's very, uh, yeah. it's uh, getting, getting taller at least. Not the trouble taller. is, where, you see, there's no way you can, okay, a lot of people locally don't know where to live. Uh, that to be affordable and the students tend to scoop up all of the apartments because they have like endless cash you know and uh, uh, the students at Ithaca College and Cornell University so they have uh, you know you know trying to incentivize local people to move into these places so yeah Ithaca College uh, when we were at that weird junk shop Ithaca College uh, newspaper sent some students to cover it, and I helped deal with the logistics of that. And Professor Kittredge saw that and decided to host the show. And it, thereafter, it, well, with the exception, this is the first year uh, without an Ithacon in 45 years. And due, due to the uh, epidemic oh COVID, um, right yeah. that makes sense it, it was yeah. just about to go on at that time i actually had to refund my tickets so uh oh, bummer. yeah so uh but they uh they've done a lot with their panels now again at ithacon and, and gaming rooms and uh quiet space for people who, who need to de-stress and uh yeah their costume contests and things like that and we, we have the full might of Ithaca College's considerable budget behind us now to do that. And uh, that's always nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, for, for several years, it was, you know, uh, it was a room a little smaller than a high school gymnasium at the Women's Community right. Building with no panel discussions, no you, costume. Uh, were you around when uh, there's a the Masons building? Um, it's no, kind of across I, the street. Uh, was that before your time? That was before my time. Okay. So, there was one show that was held. Um, it was the first time that I, like I remember remember it being affiliated with the Women's Community Building, but it was a really it was a really great show because um, it was probably maybe a year or two after the death of Superman, comics were just huge in in the country um, as a market. And uh, there were uh, a, a, just a ton of creators that came down for it. It was held in the, in the, the, the Mason's building. I can't remember the name of that building. There's been a number of like bars and restaurants and things that have opened and yeah. closed there. It's been, it's been pretty much empty for years now, you know. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Bart Sears was there, Joe Duffy. Um, uh, I know Walt Simonson came one year. I don't think it was the year that we were in that building also. One thing um, I love about Ithacon is that the, the people in the club are so well connected, you know, and we can get some, we're, Ithaca isn't the biggest town out there, but we can get names like Jim Shooter by saying, hey, mind, mm-hmm. mind, you know, just, you know, yeah. And, uh, and well, you know, it, it was nice, I think, back in the day because uh, so many of the talent, talent of comic books lived in New York City to be near the bullpen and stuff. Um, and, you know, having a show that was just uh, a few hours north of the city uh, allowed 
them to get out of the city and have a have a nice weekend and stuff like that. Um, yeah. a little a little country vacay. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's now it's like a college and uh, it's got all that going on. But you have since holy crap, you're you're you've done. You see, Ithaca, the comic book club doesn't just have good good talent in it, but it tends to generate some really cool talent. And you have lived the dream. You've done Superman, Spider-Man. I mean, t- tell us about how you've gone professional. Well, um, well, uh, okay. So, uh, as as you know, I've always drawn. Um, uh, it, it's it. it you know, having moved so many places in my life, uh, having a sketchbook was, it was like having my best, a, a best friend around. Um, it uh, allowed me to escape everything that was going on around me and just, just uh, uh, be in my own little peaceful bubble. Um, let's see. Uh, so that translated to me connecting with people like Ithaca, uh, the Ithaca Comic Book Club, and and then venturing out when uh, the internet got bigger, to various uh, internet forums and stuff like that, um, which connected me with a group called Ten Ton Studios, hmm. um, and they were a bunch of folks that, like me, wanted to become a comic book artist. Although I got to say they were a lot more diligent about actually like actively trying to be a comic book artist. I was pretty uh, okay with just uh, working my day job and drawing at night sort of thing. What was um, the day job if you don't mind me asking? Uh, there were a lot over the years. Um, for, for a while there, I worked for uh, Give Me Coffee as a coffee bean delivery oh, guy. Cool. Um, and I was a barista and stuff like that. I was a bartender. Um, I worked as an electrician right before I got into comic books. Um, that's the great thing about uh, doing art in a, a fairly prob- prevalent area. Um, the you know art is something that you take with you no matter where you where you go, um, and it allowed me to. Uh, you know, move to the various places that I've I've lived, and you know, pick up odd jobs and stuff like that, and be able to survive uh, between you know the day job and 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 uh, the art. There's certainly, a lot of odd jobs in Ithaca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I remember uh, one of my one of my early jobs was uh, let's see, I was I was hired at a a local storefront on the commons. I don't, I honestly don't even remember the name of it. Uh, and, but, and I would work the cash register, but that wasn't my main job. My main job was painting. Uh, this is back in like high school, um, uh, hand painting greeting cards that are like, it was basically, I was a colorist for these greeting wow. cards and I would paint in these flowers and stuff. Uh, it was probably by far the, like the weirdest job. I think I was paid by card. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't do it very long. But <laughs> my mom went to Ithaca College. My mom went to Ithaca College back in like the seventies, early seventies, mm-hmm. and she had a job in a donut shop, and uh, which meant she got to take the day old donuts home to her roommates. She was very popular, yeah. but she she said yes. Believe it or not, you can get sick of donuts. You know, and so uh, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. And, Speaking of storefronts, one of the, the more uh, prominent shops in Ithaca at the time was Harold's Army Navy Supply Store. Yeah, and, I remember. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, she said that they sold uh, pants and shirts that were shot through with bullet holes. And they marketed, yeah. it, as, they, they marketed it as, come buy these pants and shirts that were shot through in Vietnam. And, and then, of course... It was, right, they it, was it, it was debunked <laughs> one day right. when someone heard a bunch of gunshots and just saw them shooting him up up back the store, you know. Wow, I I hadn't heard that story. That's a, that's a good one. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I believe Harold's was like one of those places where I got multiple Halloween costumes. <laughs> they always so, had a, a, a big box full of random stuff. Yeah, back to starting in the industry, 1010 Studios and... Oh yeah, uh, well, so uh, it was 10 Ton Studios um, and they, uh, so it was a bunch of creators that w wanted to get into comic books, but like just weren't quite there. Um, and they had this like weekly challenge that, uh, uh, so you would you'd draw a picture You'd scan it in, and you'd post it on this this forum, and uh, whatever character that was that was pulled for the week, um, and then everybody would vote on which character, which drawing they liked the most of that character, and uh, the the winner got to uh, select one of the other drawings. So, like, if you lost, you had to physically mail your your piece of artwork to uh, the winner of that week's challenge, and uh, so it, it really ups up the stakes, and uh, it made everybody bring like their their best game uh, their, their, uh, to to each week's challenge, um, and that that produced a bunch of uh, creators that are, are are very popular in the industry now, like. Um, uh, Riley Brown, Chris Burnham, Koi Femme, uh, Charles Paul Wilson III, uh, Doug Hill, who uh, does a lot of stuff with um, uh, wrestling comics and, uh, and uh, uh, Clip Studios. It, it used to be called uh, Manga Studio. Um, uh, Nick Patera. Man, there's so many names. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so all of these people basically were doing their thing, got connected with Ten Ton, and that energy propelled each other to push harder. Um, those those weekly sketch challenges taught us to meet deadlines. Um, maybe I should start doing some more of those. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> COVID's got to us all. Yeah, <laughs> but um, so that 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 propelled me to um, to work harder at the craft of comic book art. I did. I I've done a lot of art over the years, um, but comic book art is is well. I I sometimes don't even like to call it art. It, it's it's illustration. It's there's a technical side to it that comic art doesn't quite capture. And the term art, I don't demean it by saying it's not art at all. It um, is art. It is, um, it's, a, it's a kind of art. Um, but I think of the art of it is the collection in the book, uh, the story and the, 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 the impact it leaves you with as a whole product. Um, whereas, you know, if you go to a museum and you see a painting, uh, that is the whole product. That image is the whole product. And so, uh, it, it's just a different experience of art. Um, yeah, this, this, the writing is so yeah. important too. Yeah. It's, 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 it's such a com community. I don't, there are very few other industries that have such a connection between different people doing different things and coming together and creating this one product. Um, it's, it's really amazing. It blows my mind every time I think about it. Yeah, I, I went to New York City with a colleague and was able to visit Marvel a couple times. And, mm -hmm. and that, you know, collegial atmosphere they've got going right there, down, down to, you know, the, the decoration and the layout of the places. It, it's... I don't use this word lightly. It's a brotherhood, really, you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, you know, uh, there's all kinds of people that make comic books, um, but the ones the ones that I think last um, last the test of time are the 
usually some of the nicest people, um, the, the, the kinds of folks that, that grew up with the mentality of give, give somebody the shirt off your back sort of thing um, in order to, to make the world as, as good as you can. You know, I saw that uh, Marvel Universe of Superheroes exhibit at the Franklin Institute, and uh, yes. I, I was I was at the opening right next to uh, a dear friend of mine, um, Joe Casada, and uh, and uh, he was uh, he's actually also been a guest on this uh, podcast. There's also a YouTube video of him, oh, and cool. uh, and uh, he you, was you probably uh, hung out with him more than I have. <laughs> uh he he is so kind and and uh, has such amazing stories to tell but uh you know he uh this exhibit uh uh very first room it says it was basically jack kirby talking about how he and his family were all immigrants and how they they came from people who were less fortunate and yeah. how telling stories lifted people up. And then they have Stan Lee, of course, talking about the everyday person. Um, oh, Stan, yeah. There are people who diminish the impact of comic books and they have no clue what they're talking about. Um, from, you know, uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, the, the, the beautiful issue, what was it, 70s, early 80s, where the older African-American gentleman confronts uh, Green Lantern and says, I've heard you've done a lot of things for the purple skins and the pink skins, right. but you don't seem to have done anything for the black skins, you know? And, yeah. uh, that, that, and uh, also both Green Arrow and Spider-Man comics dealt a lot with drug addiction back when it was technically criminal for comics to address that. You know, sure. and and uh, uh, I think it was criminal for them to show it. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of hazy as to what all the uh, authority code stuff. From was. what I understand, a certain issue of Spider-Man that dealt with Harry Osborn's drug addiction actually had to go without the authority uh, code oh, and wow. was threatened by the arts uh, people at the White House. Apparently, so. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, yeah, and, and yeah, that's that's one of the things that I love about comic books so much. Um, uh, especially, uh, especially the comic books that 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 we grew up with. Um, they self-regulated in, in a way. Um, you know, uh, they questioned the boundaries of their own characters in what is, what is it to be a hero? What is it to, to stand up and do what's right? Um, and you, you, and you find that with, uh, dealing with drug addiction, dealing with race relations, dealing with, um, the uh, uh, imbalances of equality and uh, X Men was entirely a civil rights title. Oh, of course, it, it, for it, it sure. Didn't pretend for not sure. to be. You know, I, I think I think what really like always what always appealed to me was was the way that um, the the way that comic books empowered your own voice um, helped you realize that the downtrodden can speak up, realize that because, you know, as a kid who, who moved around a lot and, you know, um, can you hold had that my, had my own, just had my own, sure. Hold. Um, Tim in Ithaca, the comic book guy, 
is uh, a curmudgeon, but he is our curmudgeon. He, <laughs> he is a really awesome guy. And in 1992, Marvel came out with Alpha Flight 106, which was the first superhero to come out of the closet. That was North Star. Yeah. And in 1992, a woman, you know, got it bagged and bought it from Tim. Shortly before I moved there, she sold it back, still in the bag, and it's still in the bag to this day. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I have that issue, yeah. Yeah, except this is like beyond mint. It hasn't been opened since it was made, you know. That's so, wonderful, yeah. So that, this is Alpha Flight uh, 106, and I also have... Uh, When North Star got married, they did draw your own cover issues. And here you did. Oh, uh, yeah. You did uh, Obsidian or Todd Rice and his, his yeah. uh, boyfriend, Damon Matthews from Manhunter, on this draw your own cover issue. Nice. And I've got this all hanging on one wall of my apartment. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm honored. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's great. Yeah, and that's, that's what I mean, you know. Uh, it, it comic books are a gateway to to being able to communicate to being able to connect with people that you might never have the chance to and those are invaluable invaluable uh qualities that we need more of today so um, i also have uh gotta get one more thing okay know this would be the prop issue but it is so this, this goes into a big question i have in a limited series of daredevil called end of days issue seven here um a character who was invented in 2001 2002 as a kid by bendis was the writer and i think mac was the artist uh he was autistic and uh, in this issue, he is mostly grown up and he's revealed as the next Daredevil after Daredevil, our Daredevil oh, wow. passes away. And this beautiful fan art of him. And- uh, oh, oh, nice. And, and so I, uh, that is a big piece of what I do is disability and entertainment. So you're literally feeding into our next, our big fat question. Okay. There are people with disabilities who are creative. Artists, writers, set designers, um, um, uh, 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 costumers, uh, game, program game programmers, you name it, anything. We can do any anything. We, we can, I mean, I'm a, I'm a disabled pop culture critic amongst many other things. We, we, we can create, yet, the, yet uh, we are often excluded from the creative field. Um, some people just aren't aware we're out there. Other people don't seem to be looking for us. You know, other people unfortunately right. actively avoid us. Uh, for disabled creators, what are your tips on getting involved in the art scene and what are your your tips to the art scene for involving disabled creators so i think i think uh the bottom line regardless of who you are where you're from um is to to do if you have a story in your mind make it uh, whether you, you write it down or you draw it, like make your story the most important thing in, in the world to you. Um, and that will give you something 
to hold in your hand. And that will allow you to hand that something to somebody else and say, look at this, I can do this. This is, this is a part of me. Um, and that I, I can tell you right now, the number of people that have come up to me and said, Hey, I really want to get, get into comics. Like, how do I do it? And stuff like that. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. If you have a product in your hand, if you have something that's, that says, this is something that I did, you are a hundred, a hundred miles ahead of everybody else. Um, I can confirm that, that has, actually. <laughs> yeah. That has, that has, if somebody's coming up to me with samples and they're samples of a character um, that, you know, like if there's samples with, with, with Spider-Man in it or Batman in it or something like that, um, that's all well and good. And that can show you a skill. Um, but you need to be able to show that you, 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 you could think about your characters. You, you like, I mean, there are plenty of artists out there and pl plenty of creators out there that um, can get by with just uh, doing the job, but you're not going to, you're not going to stay around. You're not going to, um, you're not going to be able to, to, to maintain your love for the job if you don't love the characters and, um, and, and, the best way to show that is by creating your own and, and, and doing something of your own and putting that out there because that has more heart than it in it than a lot of other things that you could show. I have never told the, uh, uh, so I, I do not, I swear I did not mean to become a carrot top today, but I, I have one more thing that everyone has. Okay. To <laughs> oh, I get it. Carrot top, right. <laughs> okay, this is how I became involved in the creative world. A bit of backstory. I was doing a disabled, uh, I, I haven't told this to my podcast listeners or my YouTubers yet. Um, I was uh, a, uh, uh, in a disability studies class, my very first semester of disability studies master's degree at the University at Buffalo. And um, I uh, did, was doing some research and re realized about this autistic character I told you about. First properly rendered, I mean, Marvel had unfortunately did something incorrect in like the 80s or 90s, but this is the first properly rendered autistic superhero. Um, and uh, I was, and I did a paper about it for this uh, master's class, Intro to Disability Studies. Um, my advisor must have had other things in his mind other than advising me because I, uh, I went to him and I said, is there any chance that this can be published? And he said, not bloody likely. And I said, is there any chance that I can make money off of this? He laughed at me. Well, I went to the comic book guy, not in Ithaca, but in in Buffalo. Hi, Emil. Emil Novak Sr. runs uh, the Queen City Bookstore, which is a, a comic book store. It's the oldest bookstore in Western New York, which unfortunately says a lot about the state of business there. Um, but he also runs Buffalo Comic Con. He runs Visions Comic Art Group, a group of people who create comics locally. Uh, he also has an independent film studio and came out with a damn good film about Frankenstein, the man, and, and how he loses his morality when creating his monster. Um, this was called Frankenstein's Patchwork Monster, and I encourage people to look it up. So he, I went to him and he said, yeah, we have these people with visions who've got art, artist talent. We've got people who can, who can help with formatting and things. We can get you a little booklet published. And, nice. and uh, this is awesome. like, the first edition was like nine pages, 10 pages 
the the second edition was like 15 pages that's on the wall over there but um and that was pretty cool and i sold it at like his his shows and things like that it wasn't as big a deal as my as my big like 250 300 page book i've got now but i would but what that allowed me to do is i had a few spare copies after i left buffalo and i was living yeah. in I was living in Ithaca, New York, on my way to living here in the D.C. area, when uh, I, I had been trying to contact Bendis, who created the character for quite some time. Bendis is really busy. So I, I said, well, if he won't answer me, I'll go to his boss. Turns out that Joe Casada was giving a, uh, a meet, meet and greet if you paid a certain amount uh, yeah. at Fan Expo in Toronto. And this is exactly what Aaron's saying. I took this and I, I, I gave a copy to Joe Casada and I said, I've got this really cool idea. It's not a comic book, not a traditional comic book. It's a lit review of a really pioneering character you got. And so he put me in touch with certain editors and people like that. And he, and he got me uh, and, you know, it got me his friendship and it got me uh, intros into the creative world. Not to mention, I gave a copy to Stan Lee, who promised to read it when he got home. And I have a yeah. photo with him, and I also got his autograph. And when the new book came out, uh, uh, like three, uh, two and a half years later, um, my colleague who knew Stan Lee's personal manager, not one of the abusive a-holes, but the actual good guy, sure. um, was able to get the book to Stan and he got it before he passed away. So that is how... That's wonderful. That is how Aaron is actually right. Having a literal physical copy to show to someone like Joe, for example, or Stan Lee, yeah. will literally get you places. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh... You know, and you could have you could have talked to Joe about your idea for this character or for this live review, and uh, and that would have been well and good, but it wouldn't have made the the connection that that you you obviously have with him without having that product, without having that that, that thing in hand. That's that's a really great story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I haven't told this this uh, to the gang yet. I've got a painted portrait over there I'm gonna leave it over there of uh, a painted portrait of daredevil signed by stan lee joe casada charlie cox and alex milev and i uh am have a promise from brian to eventually get bendis to, to eventually get it signed oh wonderful so thank you for that tip now you've worked um you've worked a lot of titles what was your favorite or most challenging title you've worked on oh my favorite one is probably always going to be the one i'm working on at the moment um uh there are things about every book that i've done that i'm proud of and other things i wish i might might be able to go back and change um uh and as far as challenges go, you know, I've worked in some, uh, on like such a variety of books that uh, each book has its own uh, pits and pits and traps and stuff like that. Um, so like when I was working on, um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, I was creating uh space and spaceships and aliens and 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 things like that to uh not just as a way to to enhance the story but also to create my own signature of what this book should look like for me um uh i just got done doing a a run on uh ghost rider and uh same thing with uh creating a tone of, of the villains and uh, all the demons and all the creatures and all the, the different shapes and sizes that they come in. Was, uh, that's kind of the fun part for me. Um, 
you know, I, I often say that drawing, drawing a comic book is about 10% uh, creative and 90% work. Um, and that part of that 10% pulling, you have to find the joy to pull out the 10, from that 10% um, throughout your day. And one of the ways that I would do that was by um, creating a whole, a whole plethora of crazy demons or crazy aliens. And uh, that became a, the thing that uh, propelled me through, through drawing all the pages. Um, let's see. Uh, and the, there's a, there's other sides to it too, where, you know, when you're doing a book with uh, a bunch of characters from, a, from across, across the, the, the spectrum of, of whatever company you're working for, um, you know, look, the looking at the reference can be a drag, uh, trying to find the way that each character should look um there was a batman there was a mm. batman run a few years ago where i know the artist's name or i mean the writer's name but from what i understand he's basically a pariah in the industry now because he didn't look up any of the continuity of where, mm. where characters were supposed to be and created uh yeah yeah you, you know you got to know where you got to know where you are in universe you know yeah absolutely um that's just as important as knowing the essence of a character you know uh if you i think i think dan slot was tweeting out the other day about how uh some characters are yankees fans and some characters are mets fans and uh not being a sports guy i wouldn't i would never have known that but uh Dan's got Dan's got a steel trap of, of, of between his ears, uh, and he never lets any of that stuff go. He, uh, um, but but those are the things to know. Those are the things to pay attention to to like really understand your characters and uh, you know know that there are things that a character can do. You know, any character could do anything but the situation and the circumstances have to be right. You know, when, when there was all that hoopla about whether Superman would kill in, uh, after Man of Steel and stuff like that. I do believe that any character put in the right position, right circumstances would do anything uh, if the story is right. Um, I personally didn't believe that the story was right for that movie. Uh, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like, um, you have to know the character. And if, if the, what you want to happen. There's a lot of psychology that goes into that. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if the thing that you want to happen as a writer or as a creative is against the moral compass of the character or the moral, like the, the, the soul of the character, as it were, um, you have to think about how to, how to put that character in that position. Um, well, I mean, and as the artist, you you have to know that character backwards and forwards. Know their know their 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 little personal tics, their um, their physical traits of how they move, how they how they would think. But you know, and that's stuff we don't even see in comics. You see it in the movies and the cartoons, but. Um, you know, like like there was a scene in Guardians of the Galaxy where um, I had the whole team sitting around and they're they're having the, like the powwow mm -hmm. sort of thing, and for no reason I thought, oh, I'm gonna give uh, Star Lord a, a soda cup because it's just kind of like a like yeah. a silly thing because they're out in space. Where like where are they gonna get drive through? You know, sort of <laughs> sort of mentality. He's like throwing the ice back in his mouth uh, like, like you do when you get to the bottom of a drink. <clears throat> um, and uh, it's, it's putting those, those character ideas 
uh, in the background and, and, and give it, it really breathes life into them. I love in, in the Captain Marvel comics and the film that you, 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 you follow the journey of this totally awesome cat who had a fan following before the film even started. They did yeah. like an, uh, they did like five hours of watch the cat go from set to set of, of the movie or something like that. And all it was yeah. was they were putting a different picture in back of it, you know. But yeah, people, nice. people gobbled this up. Cats are great entertainment. So then, yeah. of course, it's not just a cat. It's a very deadly alien with a dimensional portal in its mouth. Here. Right, so, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, knowing that people like cats, cat? you know. So anyway, so what's your favorite Marvel film? Oh, in this universe, man, that's a that's a tougher question. I I would have thought. I really love. Um, I love Captain Marvel. I love man. Um, I have to think about all of them because there's quite a quite a few now. Um. Mine might be Black big, Panther. Big Hero, uh, Black Panther's amazing. Um, I was just about to say Big Hero Six. Yeah. Um, it's not that often lumped in with the Marvels. Yeah, it is, but it's not often. Don't find out till after the credits, though. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, Black Panther's definitely huge. That that was one of the. I, I will honestly say that's one of the few that made me cry. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't think of them as favorites. I think of them as like the ones that uh, really impacted me. Um, I think every one of them has their own properties, you know? Like every franchise, sure. Iron Man, Black Panther, Captain America... Hulk has their own attributes that make it unique, and it's like you can pick a favorite one in those. Uh, in those, yeah, you know. Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking as you were saying that, like, you know, I could say like, okay, I like Winter Soldier more than Civil War or something like that. Um, but it's tough to take all of them and whittle them down to just a few. Um. You know, Endgame was Plus, uh, was yeah. cathartic. It was wonderful to see this all end oh, up. Was, yeah. I just don't think that it was the best one they had put out, you know. Uh, for cinema, for, for like what you like, um, for what you want from a movie, I don't think it's anything that we've seen before. Um, I think that they they were able to do something that we were used to in comic books, where you have the that the the big team up movement right. um, crossover event sort of thing, um, without selling it like a crossover event, <laughs> um, and they were able to do that in the movie, and I would say for the first time, like there have been other like uh, the Arrow universe, the Arrow Flash stuff, of DC's TV stuff that have done uh, crossover event type things, but it's always been for the event. Um, it's never been about the story. And that's the thing is, you know, like, I love certain DC titles and stuff. I read Green, Green Lantern religiously for a few years you know, and Batman mm -hmm. is almost always without flaw. That big exception I told you about. But but uh, DC under Dan DiDio became way too event-centered, you know. Yeah, well, they sell. That's, yeah. that's why they, that's why the uh, yes, but DC the, is they, into them. But. They felt completely contrived. You know, yep. like you're 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 looking at the first issue of uh, Infinite Crisis, and it's Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman standing there, 
and they're like, well, shit has gone to hell. And I'm like, so you're just throwing us in the middle of this crisis, you know? And it turns out you had to read like 10 billion countdown books to see kind of sort of yeah. what was going on, you know? They're trying to sell books, you know? It's been my, it's been my experience. Well, that's got to be their goal on some level of trying to sell books because the books, uh, well, you know, there's a mantra that, that like they say, they say that the books just aren't selling as well and they're not, but there's so many other elements to the properties that they're bringing in money. Um, I think, I think the problem with a lot of, um, events these days is that and you know i never i never did an event <laughs> event book in the 90s or the 80s or anything like that um i think that you know there there's some event books that we look to as uh like uh like biblical sort of stature of like you know the infinity gauntlet comic book the the watchman the, uh the uh crisis uh crossover um you know i think one of the ways that those worked and this is mostly guesswork on my part is because a lot of those people were in the room uh and you could you could turn to another editor and be like hey can we use this character or is this character on the table right now? Or is this, um, uh, you had a, had an immediate community about, uh, making, making an event and there's a synergy to being in the room together. There's a synergy to, to creatives when they're in a room and they're just creating something from the heart that nothing beats it. I, I don't I don't care how many Zoom calls, how advanced Zoom gets or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, or have you ever heard of Roger's story of how he wrote his book? No. Uh, oh, God. This was before email. So you literally had, uh, he had to write the Bible, basically, on the de death and, and rebirth of Superman, right? And he, and he, and this was before email, so he had people FedExing scripts to each other, and, and right. like racing to FedEx scripts. And then at some point of it, he injured his backside, so there he is, like laying on a chaise lounge with his arms over the, yeah. the yeah, and he and he had to keep up with each new story, like the the day after it was written, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I think I, I, you know, um, there, there is something to, when the fires get going, they just get going. And, uh, I think it's when you stop and say, and really analyze, well, will this sell? is when you're in impeding the idea of a story um it's a it's a road bump it's it's always it's 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 a trick to storytelling to try to tell to create a story that uh the people who who publish the book will think will sell it's not even it's not even a matter of like will it sell or not but there's there's an element of trying to to hook it to the people that are going to buy it, and I don't mean the customers; I mean the the people that will print it. Yeah. Uh, as a creative. Oh, I, I mean even the company. If I'm pitching a story to Marvel or DC, I've got, um, I've got to phrase it in a way that will connect with their idea of making a profit on some level. I mean, I, it's by, by no means is it like my main motivation. That's probably why I don't have too many stories out there, but. <laughs> so we've, 
been going for an hour now, and I have one more question for you. What was your favorite book or you know comic book growing up? Your favorite title? Oh, that's a lot tougher than I than I. I, I there's so many things that I that I enjoyed. Um. Spider-Man, X-Men, they got me hooked into comic books. And and by that I mean I probably mean the the uh Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson um era of uh Spider-Man and then the 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 Jim Lee, uh Chris Claremont era of X-Men. Yeah. Um oh my my earbuds are telling me that we've definitely been talking for over an hour because <laughs> they just said boop, 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 boop. yeah um, so thank you very much for this wonderful conversation I, we will always have more to talk about next time i'm assuming there will be a next time thank you aaron for this wonderful heartfelt conversation it's been a blast and I, i'd love to do it again sometime you great awesome okay take care Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Autistic Reality Podcast. Autistic Reality is a sole proprietorship corporation focusing on disability and human rights advocacy, as well as writing, editing, photography, and pop culture criticism. You can find out more at www.nothingaboutuswithoutus.net. We're on Facebook at facebook.com backslash autistic reality and on Twitter as at Autistic Reality. In addition, we have an immense gallery of photos on Flickr under Autistic Reality. Start at the collections page for easier browsing. And Alex New's book, Vinny Vitty Autism, Second Edition, is available on Amazon. You can also find his pop culture endeavors and posts on Facebook at backslash V-E-N-I-V-I-D-I-A-U-T-I-S-M. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon.